Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, for the revelation you're giving us with regards to prayer. And Lord, we commit this series on the praying church. We commit it to you, Father. And we ask that you activate prayer in our local church and also in the body of Christ. May you come and have your way. Come and do what only you can do. Come and birth what only you can birth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really excited about this series. I know that it's going to be an extended series uh, on the praying church. And today I want to share with you a message entitled Engaging Heaven. You know, throughout scripture, we see that there are certain things that get heaven's attention. Angels are not just deployed for anything and everything. There are specific activities on earth that appear to trigger some kind of reaction and some kind of response from heaven. If we look throughout scripture, when believers discover that these things um, are, are real, these things are very practical, and when we discover what these things are and we begin to do them, we see greater results in all our endeavors. You see, in order to do supernatural exploits on earth, we need the assistance of heaven. Therefore, the believer who knows how to engage heaven is more effective on earth. The believer who knows how to engage heaven is more effective on earth. And so in this message, I will outline some of these activities and Trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to teach us and to impart revelation with regards to these mysteries. You see, there are certain things that attract heaven more than others. And, you know, sometimes we've got this thing of like, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, uh, God's grace is available and he will pitch up and he will. No, um, you see, there's certain things that attract heaven more than others, Right. Um, and I want to I talk about that. For example, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of the saints. It doesn't say he just inhabits anything and everything. He inhabits the praises of the saints. And I might not expound in this particular message on that, but that shows me that if I want God to pitch up and to be present, one of the things he's attracted to is praise. And that's why often when people talk about angelic ministry during their, uh, during, you know, in their church, they will talk about extended times of worship. And they will say, the angels joined us. There's something heaven loves about worship, about praise. All right. Um, and so we see this and we need to study these things so that we know how to engage heaven because we need the assistance of heaven. So although it's not the focus of my message, heaven gets excited, for example, about missions that result in salvations. Ever wondered what makes heaven rejoice? In Luke 15 verse 7, it says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, if I'm a good husband just doing his thing and so on, heaven is not as excited about that than when someone gets saved who didn't know Jesus, okay? It's not, that, it's not to say it's not a good thing that I'm doing, it's not a wonderful thing, but heaven gets more excited about a sinner who repents than someone who's righteous who doesn't need to repent, right? Um, it's important to understand that. Now, many times we have had a siloed approach to prayer, but today we will see that it's not just about 
what you bring with praying. It's about bringing your whole self to prayer. So prayer is not just about what I say to God. It's also about what that comes with, what the package is. This is so, so important. It's about what you, what you bring in your entirety, not just what you bring specifically uh, as a prayer. This is crucial, you see. It's about praying with a heart of praise and thanksgiving. It's about praying with a giving heart. It's about lifting holy hands in prayer, the Bible says. You know, I've said to you before, God inhabits the praises of the saints. So when we praise, it attracts his manifest presence. Therefore, prayer must be mixed with praise. It's so important. And the Bible shows us the protocol of, uh, of prayer. It says, we'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. We'll enter his courts with praise. And that's why in our prayer meetings in, in our church, we start off with praise and thanksgiving for a number of minutes before we go into our petitions. Okay, so this is what gets heaven engaged. And there are times in scripture where we see um, uh, that there's a conflation of heaven and earth. It's almost like a portal. I believe that watchmen become something like this. Okay, they connect heaven and earth um, to the degree to which the watchman has emptied himself. Will he experience the infilling from God? And so we want to be those who empty ourselves so that heaven can flow through us and we become conduits that connect heaven and earth. I believe that God is taking us to this place. You know, um, if you look at Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through to 17, it says, Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and, of, and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Isn't that a wonderful dream to have? And, you know, sometimes God will appear to you in a dream. There's an impartation through a dream. So though he was dreaming, I believe it was the visitation, a bit similar to Solomon when God asked him in a dream, what do you want? And he said, wisdom. So verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And I believe that God is calling us to engage heaven and to create um, and activate these gates. Right. Because we need heaven's assistance. You see, I want to align myself with the things that get heaven's attention. There was something about Jacob, something about that covenant that God made with Abraham that activated this blessing in Jacob's life. And the result of it was 
engaging with heaven, which Jacob did a number of times. You see, in the context of prayer, there's certain things we can do to activate the heavenly hosts to work on our behalf. And I'm not going to mention all of them. I've already started touching on a few of them, but I want to discuss just four of these with you today. Just four of these. The first one is consecrate yourself to be a watchman. There's something about a watchman that's precious to the Lord. You see, a watchman sees and a watchman guards. You see, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to be a watchman. Many people pray only for their own breakthroughs, yet watchmen wait on the Lord to receive the burden of the Lord. And it's something the Lord has been teaching me. And I believe that God is taking us to a place where, yes, we pray. We pray through lists that we've decided we need to pray about this. We need to pray about that. But there's a place in God where we empty ourselves and we say, God, give me your burden. Lord, I lay down my burdens so that I can carry your burdens. And I believe that there's something about giving yourself to God to be a watchman, a watcher, someone who sees what's on God's agenda and God's. And I believe that when we do that, we are precious to God with regards to him being able to use us. You see, there's being precious to God in terms of, oh, I love you. And he loves us and he delights in us. But there's also precious for his use. You see, a watchman is very precious to the Lord. There's sacrifice involved in making yourself available to stand in the gap and to be a guardian. Some of you are in a season where the Lord is stirring you to widen your jurisdiction when it comes to prayer. Prayer beyond yourself and your family, right? Where you're no longer saying it's us for and no more. Maybe you've been in a place where you've just been uh, standing in the gap on behalf of your company. And now God is saying, I want you to be a watchman for your industry. Maybe you've been in a place where you've just been praying for your kids' school and the things that affect your kids. And God is saying, I want you to be a watchman over the education in this nation. I don't know what it is, but I believe that God is taking us as a church, taking us as a people to a place where he's expanding our jurisdiction in terms of what we are covering as watchmen. You see, a watchman gets heaven's attention because God can rely on him or her. God doesn't do anything in the earth without working through watchmen and intercessors. You see, therefore, when God establishes things, he first reveals it to these watchmen so that they can pray for a manifestation of it in the earthly realm. And that's how God has chosen to work. He works through us. He's chosen to do that. He could have done it all by himself, but he says, no, we're going to co-labor in this. So I'm going to reveal it to you. You receive it from heaven and birth it in the earth. But you see, the starting point is that we see what's going on in heaven and then we receive it and then we inject it into the earth. This is so important. Sometimes we've got this mindset of, hey, there's God doing his stuff. Oh, look, God is doing his stuff. But I believe the way God works is he reveals it to us first and he says, now birth it, now birth it. And we co-create things in the earth with him. That's what co-laboring is about. And there's laboring in the spirit that the Lord is calling us to. In Amos 3 verse 7, it says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Isn't that powerful? Surely the sovereign Lord, okay? It's amazing. We're talking about his sovereignty, 
But look at this. Surely the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord who can do whatever he wants to do. It says he does nothing. In other words, he's chosen this. He does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is the definition of plan? plan? To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. So God reveals the details of what he wants to do to his servants, the prophets. Let me just say this, their levels of seeing, their levels of seeing. You see, some prophets were called seers because their eyes were opened by the Lord and they would see. Now, many people today are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but they have not seen or experienced kingdom realities. We need to first see the heavenly blueprint in order to pray it into the earth. This is so crucial. We need to study the ingredients of the kingdom, such as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. And we study that. We need to be aware of the processes of the kingdom. And all of this starts with us seeing. It starts with us seeing. Heaven is attracted to those that have consecrated themselves to be watchmen because they position themselves to see. Many people love seeing. Oh, Lord, give me this vision. Lord, give me that vision. But they haven't proven themselves faithful to then pray through what God shows them. In John 5, 19 to 20, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. So every action that Jesus did stemmed from him seeing what the Father was doing. And I believe we're called to do the same. He went on to say, because whatever the father does, the son also does. But how does he get to do it? For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. The son can only do it because he's seeing what the father does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. So all the great works the son did. He was seeing the father doing it and he did what he saw the father doing. It begins with seeing. The other aspect of being a watchman is hearing. So we have to see and we have to hear. We shut down other voices and we live by his voice. We literally hang on to his words. In Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written. And this was when the, the devil was trying to tempt him. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the preceding word. We live by this word. So what is the key about being a watchman who sees and hears? Okay. It's so key. It's so key. You present yourself to God. You consecrate yourself to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to hear. And I want to be faithful with what I see and hear. And that's why Paul the apostle talks about being stewards of the mysteries. They're not our mysteries, they're God's mysteries. And we have to be stewards of the mysteries where we pass them on and activate them in the earth. So what is key about being a watchman who sees and hears is that it gives you the opportunity to make prophetic decrees and declarations. You see, this is one of the dimensions that activates angelic beings. One of the purposes of angels is to respond to the bidding of the Lord's word. We're not the ones who instruct the angels, right? But we decree and we make prophetic decrees based on what we're seeing in heaven. And then as we do so, heaven then activates the working of angels. Why? Because the angels are responding to the bidding of the word. And where's the word? It's the word of the Lord 
but God can use us as those voices. When God's words are released as prophetic decrees, heaven mobilizes angels to do their work. But the directive comes from heaven, so it's important to have the words of heaven. This is so, so important. In Hebrews 1 verse 14, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In the book of Psalms 103 verse 20, in the Perean Study Bible, it reads in verse, verse 19, I'll start from verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels, mighty in strength, who carry out his word who hearken to the voice of his command. That's what they do. They hearken to the voice of his command. They carry out his words. But guess what? We are releasing God's words. They don't carry out our words. They carry out God's words. But sometimes God will use us to make decrees that are his words. Consecration is key in positioning yourself to see and hear. During an extended time of prayer recently, I suddenly saw the flag of France. I mean, here's me just praying various things I needed to pray about. And then I was led to pray for the nation of France. And then a couple of hours later, after praying into other things, I saw the flag of India. And I was led to pray for that country. And then after doing some research on these nations, I found it interesting that France has just come out of elections. And India is going into presidential elections now in mid-July, right? So I just realized that, you know what? God is interested in the destiny of nations. But guess what? He needs us to be available to pray for his agenda for these nations to manifest, to manifest in these nations. It's in heaven's interest to engage with the watchmen, but watchmen are very rare. In Ezekiel 22, verses 29 through to 31, it says, The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and needy, and have oppressed the sojourner with ju without justice. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it. But I found none. I found no one. Ladies and gentlemen, there are consequences to there being no watchman, to there being no intercessor. There are consequences. Because in verse 31, it says, Thus I've poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I've brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Could it be that God wants you to stand in the gap as a watchman? Could it be that God is calling you to stand in the gap as an intercessor in order to save a nation? You know, this verse shows me that there are consequences of not having watches. I was moved to tears as the Lord spoke to me a few days ago, inviting me to be a watchman. I felt for God. I told him that if that's what's needed, then I'll make myself available. I am willing. And after my time of prayer, I started to update my wife on the commitment that I'd made to the Lord. But I could barely start speaking because I was so overwhelmed by what had happened. And I literally ended up just um, the glory of God came upon me. I fell 
uh, to the kitchen floor and I began to shake with his glory. This is just me trying to update my wife on what had happened. And I knew that I had made the commitment and it was received from the Lord. You know, I reflect back to a time many years ago when I had a dream where I was one of eight men standing on the outside of an octagon-shaped building and somewhat guarding it but praying at the same time. And I knew this was some kind of watching over a nation, being some kind of watchman. But I've I've now received it. It's one thing to pray. It's one thing to be an intercessor. It's another thing to receive the call of God to be a watchman. It's a privilege. It's not something light. It's not something small. And I find it interesting that the same manifestation that I experienced as I received this watchman anointing was the same one that I experienced in 2000 when I was ordained as a pastor. I just find that interesting. It was God showing me that this thing I'm calling you to is a great thing. It's not a side act. It's not something in the corner. There's something that must be handled with with the fear of the Lord. You know, Daniel is a great example of a humble, consecrated watchman who engaged with heaven. If you look at Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through to 13, it says, Suddenly a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man who is highly precious. Why? Consider carefully the words that I'm about to say to you. Stand up for I have now been sent to you. What got heaven's attention? What is it about Daniel? Because this angel didn't just go randomly to everyone and do this. And when he had said this to me, I stood up trembling. Do not be afraid, Daniel, he said. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. From the first day, you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God. It didn't just say from the first day you started praying. It says from the first day you humbled yourself. You see, humility and brokenness has to be packaged together with the praying. There are many people praying but not getting heaven's attention. And that's why the Bible says, if my people who, who know me humble themselves, right? And then seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. The things that get heaven's attention. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not just getting up and praying. It's praying from a place of brokenness. It's praying from a place of consecration as a watchman. And Daniel was a watchman. I find it interesting. It says, do not be afraid, Daniel, he said, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. There's a lot of revelation that can be unpacked there. But the main point I want to make is that he humbled himself. He was consecrated as a watchman and then heaven responded. So consecrate yourself as a watchman and watch the space. The second thing that we can do that engages heaven is participate in unified God-honoring conversations. Many people think that heaven just responds to our prayers, but I'm thinking that heaven responds to our conversations. You see, when the righteous gather in unity and in the fear of the Lord, it seems to attract heaven. 
In Malachi 3.16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. The Lord doesn't just listen to your prayers. The Lord also listens to your conversations. This is so important because sometimes we pray and then we cancel the power of our prayers because of our conversations. And so you see here, when the righteous gather in unity and in the fear of the Lord, it seems to attract heaven. Then those who fear the Lord talked with each other. They weren't even talking to God. They were talking to each other. And the Lord listened and the Lord heard. And what was the result? A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So it's not just anyone randomly speaking. It's those who fear the Lord. That's why the Bible tells us that the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. There's something about the fear of the Lord. And in that combo, when those who fear the Lord, plural, get together, are unified and begin to speak. And it says, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord. Now, the concept of a scroll of remembrance was not foreign to them because in the Persian Empire, for example, um, this was very normal right? Um, the reward was not always given straight after the action occurred. So you'll find kings, for example, would um, get the people to just write down whoever's doing good deeds or whoever's doing acts that save a nation, bravery, etc. Just write it down, write it down somewhere. And at a certain point, the kings will then read through those scrolls and then they'll say, hey, reward this guy for this, reward this guy for that. And it's so interesting because uh, the same language around a scroll of remembrance or a, a memorial can be built up for us in heaven. And some of you are in a place in your lives where you need that to be happening more and more. Some of you think like, oh, where's my harvest? Where's my harvest? But a scroll of remembrance is being written. But guess what? One of the sources of that is when you get together and you say things in agreement with your brothers and sisters. It does something in, in heaven. An example of this, uh, this concept of scroll of remembrance, we see this in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through to 3, what happened for Mordecai. During the night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records. That's another term, right? The chronicles. And they were read before the king. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning, and then it talks about what he did, okay? Um... Uh, talks about uh, two of the king's uh, eunuchs who were doorkeepers and that they had sought to lay hands on uh, one of the kings. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Right. Then the king's servants who attended him said nothing has been done for him. You see, our unity and our agreement get heaven's attention. And the result is a commanded blessing. In the book of Psalms 133 verses 1 through to 3, it says, How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. I believe it speaks partly of the anointing. For there 
the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. You see, we are not called to be isolated watchers. Rather, we are called to be well-coordinated, functioning as one man. And I believe that that unity, the things we agree upon, get heaven's attention. In Matthew 18, 19 to 20, it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There am I with them. The power of gathering in God's name. Think of all the prayer meetings we have now. Think of um, uh, situations where we gather just in terms of fellowship. He is there. You know, there have been times where my wife and I have not even prayed about something, but just agreed, and we saw an acceleration in the thing coming to pass. Just the power of us saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this happens? Bah, it happens. Engaging heaven is not about prayer in an isolated sense. It's about embodying the lifestyle of a true watcher, which includes embracing the power of agreement. This is so important. So are you having unified conversations with your brothers and sisters in the fear of the Lord? Those sacred conversations are extremely powerful in activating something from heaven. The third thing we need to do is to combine ongoing persistent prayer with almsgiving. In other words, giving to the poor. You see, almsgiving is giving to the poor and needy. And the Bible tells us that he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. That's a scroll of remembrance, isn't it? All too often, we're so passive and fatalistic in the things of God. The reality is that if you look at Cornelius, the centurion in Acts chapter 10, he wasn't randomly chosen to be the one who gets heaven's attention, who has an angel coming to him and basically talk, uh, connecting him with Peter. It wasn't random. And the Bible uh, very clearly states why he got heaven's attention. In Acts chapter 10, 1 to 6, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and they were God-fearing. There we have the fear of the Lord again. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Interesting the combo of those two things. He gave generously to those in need and paid, prayed to God, not once in a while, right? Regularly. It was his lifestyle, a lifestyle of generosity and a lifestyle of prayer. Verse 3, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. I want to show you something. It wasn't multiple memorial offerings. It was basically a combo of his prayer and his gifts. It, it, it was a sweet smelling offering. It was a memorial now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. The key thing to see here 
was that this was his lifestyle. This was his lifestyle, a lifestyle of prayer and giving. God has called us to ongoing persistent prayer in a lifestyle of giving. This is so important. You see, many people pray, but they don't mix giving into their prayer. And many people give, but they don't mix praying into their giving. Don't judge your spirituality by your peaks. Rather, judge it by your lifestyle. This was ongoing. It was ongoing. Ongoing, persistent prayer. Ongoing, persistent giving. If you look at Revelation 5 verse 8, it says, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So those prayers, those prayers, right, fill up those bowls. And when the bowl is full, there's something that happens. Could it be that we have given up praying before the bowls are full? Mix giving into your praying and praying into your giving. Fill up those bowls and watch what God will do. Look how the widow's offering got Jesus' attention. You know, Jesus didn't comment on everyone else's giving every single day. It wasn't his habit. Oh, look at that guy, how much he gave. Look at that guy, how much he gave. But there was something about the widow's offering that got Jesus' attention. You see, heaven is drawn to sacrificial giving in the context of a worshipful, prayerful heart. This is so important because remember, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So here's this widow who's prayerful. And those days, widows were known to be prayerful, weren't they? There's a widow who's prayerful. She's worshipful. The fear of the Lord is there. And that's the context of her giving sacrificially. And it got Jesus' attention. And Jesus is a picture of heaven. If you want to know what heaven is like, heaven's processes, heaven's values, we look at Jesus. And I believe in the same way as we give sacrificially, as we pray, watchman prayers, consecrated prayers, Praise from a heart that's consecrated. I believe it gets his attention. It gets heaven's attention. And then finally, the fourth thing that we can do. Only pray faith-filled, fervent prayers. Okay? That's F-cubed prayers. Faith-filled, fervent prayers. You see, it's good to actually wait and delay a prayer until you're filled with conviction about the matter so that you pray it in faith. Than just being quick with our words. But our words are futile because they're not mixed with faith. When you read the account of the centurion um, in the Gospels, the people thought Jesus would be amazed by the good deeds he had done. They said, oh, he's a good man. You need to help him out. He's been good to us. He's helped us in this way. He's helped us in this way. It didn't say Jesus was amazed by his good deeds. It says Jesus was amazed by his faith. Fervent prayers of faith that come from a place of earnestness seem to get heaven's attention. Let's have a look at it in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all of this, saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, there a centurion servant who his, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders 
of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this. And so many of us have that mindset, isn't it? Lord, I deserve this. I've done this and I've done that. Don't come to God with your own righteousness. Your own righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. Your own righteousness doesn't get his attention. It doesn't get you to engage with heaven. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. I believe that Jesus just, you know, went based on his love for that servant. Not necessarily, okay, this guy has done this and he's done all these righteous deeds. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Isn't this powerful? The Jews were like, this man deserves it. And yet he came and he says, I don't deserve it. That's brokenness. That's brokenness. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. In other words, in other words, it's not about my righteous deeds. Yes, I built a synagogue. Yes, I've done good for your people, but that's filthy rags. This guy had tapped into this revelation around God's grace. He knew, he had an idea of what would get heaven's attention. He says, this is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Isn't it interesting that the Jews who should have known better were actually the ones who just focused on righteous deeds. You deserve it. You don't. And yet it seems like the centurion and Jesus were connected around faith. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. I believe heaven is still amazed when heaven sees faith, when heaven sees fervency, earnest, heartfelt prayer. It says he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. You see, as we go deeper into prayer, we must be absolutely persuaded that God will be true to his word. God is attracted to faith. You see, it's possible to have extended hours of faith and think God will hear me because of my extended hours of prayer. Right? Did I say faith? I mean prayer. It's possible to have extended hours of prayer and think God will be attracted to me and respond to me just because I've been praying for a long time. But doesn't mean you're in faith doesn't mean you're in faith. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through to 6, I find it interesting because we see that Jesus was amazed, not, not by faith this time, but the lack of it. In Mark 6, verse 1 to 6, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? 
What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Now this, I find it so interesting that in one moment, you can slip into unbelief. I mean, it says that they were amazed. What are these miracles? They're seeing miracles. They're amazed by his teaching. But next moment, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You can have a moment where you're full of faith in prayer and you're there praying. And then just next moment, something else kicks in. You become familiar. In verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do many miracles, any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Somehow Jesus is sensitive to faith. When faith is there in great quantities and when faith is absent, it seems like in this case, he was amazed at their lack of faith. It seems like Jesus was like, my, it was mind boggling for him. Why wouldn't you guys believe you've just seen these miracles? You see, it's possible for us to spend a lot of time in prayer, but still be in unbelief. Could it be that he is looking at your prayer meeting and he's shocked by the unbelief, just like he was amazed at their lack of faith? Jesus is sensitive to faith. That's what I've learned. He's amazed when it is great and he's also amazed when it's lacking. Don't be deceived. It's possible to pray long religious prayers and not be in faith. The centurion was specifically confident in the authority of Jesus' word. And the fact that Jesus had spoken the word meant it was a done deal for him. I believe that Jesus is continuously speaking that preceding word. And it has to be a done deal for us because he's spoken it. That's what amazes him. In James 5, 16b, in the Amplified, it says, The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Isn't that powerful? It's a heartfelt prayer. It's a persistent prayer. It's done in the context of right standing with the Lord, the fear of the Lord, brokenness. I think that's powerful. How persistent are you in your prayer? How fervent are you in your prayer? Are you spiritually aggressive in your prayer? Gentle with people, but spiritually aggressive. In Genesis 32 verses 24 to 31, it says in verse 24, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is prevailing prayer. This is when you're praying until something happens. This is where you're saying, I refuse. I refuse for this thing to get onto me. I want the blessing of God. I'm going to pursue the blessing of God. I refuse for the enemy's strategy to take over. 
The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. This is prevailing prayer. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And there's a lot, what, there's a lot we can unpack there. But you see, would he have been blessed if he had not asked? And many of us are not walking in the fullness of God's blessing because we're not asking for it. Jacob said, don't go until you've blessed me. I believe that we get heaven's attention when we're persistent, when we're prevailing in our prayer. Jacob demonstrates the power of spiritual aggression. How desperate are you? How desperate are you in this season? I want to pray these four things over us so that they're activated in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your supernatural strength. We want to engage heaven. We want to connect with heaven. We need your assistance. We come in brokenness, almighty God. We come in brokenness, Father, recognizing that we're dependent on you. We cannot do it on our own. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching this message, who are listening to this message, that God, you would strengthen us and you would assist us as we consecrate ourselves to be watchmen. Father, may we hear this high calling to be watchmen, to increase and enlarge our jurisdiction in terms of what we watch. Secondly, Father, I pray that you help us as we combine ongoing persistent prayer with almsgiving, with generosity, that our prayers and our alms will go up and will be a sweet-smelling offering and will be a scroll of remembrance before you, where you will remember it, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would help us as we participate in unified, God-honoring, sacred conversations with our brothers and sisters, where we would tap into the power of agreement, where we would not be isolated watchers, but we will be those who agree with our brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray that you help us to only pray prayers that are faith-filled, fervent prayers. I pray that our our trust will be completely in you, in your word, that just like the centurion, because you've said it, Lord, we see it as a done deal. Lord, may you activate these things in us as we move forward in our prayer lives, as we go deeper. May you activate this right now, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. I want to encourage you to tap into our Zoom prayer meetings. We've started a number of uh, prayer meetings in the past, but we are adding more and more. And I encourage you to participate in these prayer meetings. Uh, get hold of us. We'll give you the details. In fact, the details are on the website. Get hold of us. We want to give you more information with regards to prayer. So you can see this on gochurch.co.za. Get hold of us and come to a place of prayer and go deeper in your walk as a watchman and as an intercessor. God bless you. We love you.